You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this day, um, uh, uh, where your mercies and your grace um, come to us afresh, renewed each morning as manna uh, delivered to your people in the wilderness, um, thank you. Uh, Be with us now, open your word to us, Um, open us to your word, uh, and read us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Portrait from the Gospels, this is the second of three weeks, just going through uh, a short series, just trying to interact a little bit with some images from an artist that I've liked for several years, um, a man named Nikolai Gay. Uh, a Russian artist, brief word about him, not going to spend a lot of time on his biography, spent a little bit of time last week. Born in 1831, died in 1894, I believe it was. Um, uh, spent most of his life in Russia, but he did as an artist often would, though he was trained initially in the sciences. He left that and became an artist. Um, early modern realism, if you're an art historian, which I'm not, that'd be the place, um, uh, the category that you'd put him in. Um, where he left the sciences and went into art, uh, looking especially at portraiture and historical art. And then he also, especially after his encounters with Leo Tolstoy, who became a good friend, uh, uh, spent a lot of time painting religious themes, especially the, the, uh, the person and work of Christ. Um, uh, so much so that when his uh, friends with Tolstoy, when his wife died in 1891, and he died uh, three short years later, um, Tolstoy came and spent a week or so with him on his farm, which I think is near Ukraine, if I remember right. If you, that sort of thing matters to you. I don't know that much about Russian history. So, But what he did, um, uh, Nikolai Gay, and we just, um, if you were stumbling in here a minute ago, and last week we looked at one of his paintings between he and Nicodemus, Christ and Nicodemus, um, which was the reading today, in fact. That often happens where the stereo effect of the word begins to play out. Um, where Jesus thought, you know, I like to have some carryover from week to week, and Ezekiel 36 seems to be as good as any. Uh, where in the encounter with Nicodemus, which is in John 3, which of course culminates nearly in John 3:16, the famous verse that God so loved the world that he gave... That's a very important verb that he gave, his only begotten son, to the end that all that believe should not die or perish but have everlasting life. Before that, as he interacts with Nicodemus, one of the teachers of Israel, and he would abrade him and saying, you who are a teacher do not know these things, be born of water and the spirit. Most likely he's thinking of this part of Ezekiel 36. Where is 36? It's right before Ezekiel 37. That's why you came here. Um, uh, Ezekiel 37, the great, famous, kind of fun, kind of weird um, chapter, the Valley of the Dry Bones, where he took him on a hill, and Ezekiel saw in front of him bones and bones and bones, dim bones just scattered everywhere, thousands of bones, um, uh, not whole skeletons, but everything mixed up. And then the spirit or the breath of God, that word is the same, uh, and all that carries over into John 3, um, blows where it will, and it revives the, the, uh, uh, the church of God, the Israel of God, um, right before Ezekiel. Right before that, where there's the strong emphasis that God is, and here's the word, so for us as our Redeemer 
as our deliverer, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our salvation, as our life, as the one who, in whom we live and move and have our very being. Um, he is so for us in all those ways that he's against himself uh, as the one who would take the wrath of God, the rightful wrath of God, poured out for the infractions of his law. That God is so for us as our defender. He's against himself um, uh, in his court, as it were. And God says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to do this work, not even for your sake. And this is the word from Ezekiel here, which is so offensive. (laughs) It's the scandal on. It's the stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Greeks that he is so for us that he's against himself. And he says, it's not even for you that I'm doing this but for the sake of my holy name. And so here's the word from Ezekiel 36. You can ask yourself, but I don't have any part in this. And that answer would be correct, that God comes down. And he says this. This is, this is the background to John 3. Um, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. But for, and I'll interrupt myself one more time that I'm about to act. And this is then Christ. God's action is summarized in, in, the, in, in the coming of Christ, in the work of Christ, in the death of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ. And so this is a, a messianic prophecy. This is God saying, this is what I'm going to do. And now we say, see, behold, this is what I am doing. I am making all things new. And so this is the culmination of God's action, Christ, which we're going to be looking at today with the betrayal and uh, and then the, the, the time before Pilate, and especially next week with the crucifixion. Um, so back to it. Um, o house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and of the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves and your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Let it be known to you. So that's the background. This is God's work that he's coming through and which I think so captivated this artist, Nikolai Gay, as we interact now with the the visual aspect of it, but also the, uh, the, the, the auditory, the verbal aspect, the hearing of it all. Um, 
thoughts there before we zoom through some portraits from the Gospels, um, interacting a little bit? We'll see this again. This is a portrait that he did, not one of his better ones, in my opinion, um, of Jesus Christ in 1870, did it in 1871. So you could, I have to do this and think in terms of, you know, a parallel or an analog. About the time of our American Civil War is about the time that he was just ramping up his art up to like the 1890s, two two or three years before he died. That's the parts that we're going to look at with a lot of the other um, art, kind of his best Christian works um, come out of that period. So this is the beginning um, of Gethsemane or on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is probably an enclosed garden because we pick up from the Gospels that they went to the Mount of Olives and then they entered the garden. And so it was probably a set-aside garden with a, uh, a stone wall or something else like that that somebody owned. And it was obviously a place that they went to often, um, Jesus and the disciples, for prayer, for retreat, uh, uh, because it says, if so we'll read it in just a moment, that, that uh, uh, they went to the garden where they had been many times before. This is the place, where are we? Um, like last week, we're kind of following the chronology here of the gospel story, the, the passion narrative. Uh, they've left the, uh, the Last Supper, and they're going out on, their, on the way to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ is going to pray three times, Lord, if it's, your, uh, if it's possible, let this cup, let this fate, let this death, that's a strong metaphor, especially in Jeremiah, um, uh, let the judgment and the wrath, uh, which is going to be meted out on your people as death, let that pass for me, but not my will be done, but yours. Um, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, this is the place where he goes with the disciples, says, wait here, but he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, and they go a little bit further, and he removes himself, one of them, I think it's Luke says, just a stone's throw away from Peter, James, and John, but they can't stay awake. They keep falling asleep. That supernatural, demonic, whatever you want to call it, stupor that comes over them, where they can't remain awake and watch. Will you not watch with me? But for one hour, he keeps admonishing Peter, James, and John. And, of course, this is part of Peter's uh, denial sequence where he both falls asleep three times, but then he also denies him three times. And Peter's really feeling the weight of the evening. So he did a couple of these. Um, the one I think we have that's lost, he did the first one in 1865. And here's one he did in 1869. And then another one's just a little bit lighter, which I think is helpful to see um, a, uh, uh, some of the, 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 the details. You can see he's got the same idea. This is the painting, the portrait that I showed a minute ago, where it's got the same sort of steeled, stolid, emotionless Christ. Um, if there is a way to read Gethsemane, um, and we'll read it in just a moment, um, it's in all three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story. There's a sense of, and I'll go back here, to the moonlit illumination, which evokes this stillness, but also a certitude, um, where Christ, who is distressed, even unto death, Matthew says, and then Luke adds the, in some ways, haunting um, part that he sweated, even on, even blood, um, which doctors will say it's possible where you have such stress that you break the capillaries and it mixes with the sweat and it comes through, where it was a... A, a body, mind, and soul experience for the Lord where he knew 
what was coming, his fate tomorrow on Friday, Good Friday, the crucifixion. And he goes out and he's afraid. The creator in the, uh, of the universe, the one who knows all things, past, present, and future, uh, is fully conscious of what tomorrow brings, not just the physical death um, and the physical pain, which would be great, um, but the spiritual and the relational death, which would be present within the Trinity. Um, uh, all that mystery that we can't really begin to understand, Jesus brought that into prayer in the garden. And he comes to, um, I wouldn't say a quiet and sure confidence, but at least a sense of, of a, well, a faithful response to the Father. This is where we get, not my will be done, but yours. And he rises and says, my betrayer is at hand, let us go. And then it's the Christ who's here on the settled side, as it were, I put settled in air quotes, on the settled side of Gethsemane, perhaps, perhaps that's, the scene that, that, that Nikolai Gay wants to bring forward. Not the sweating under blood, but at the very end where he's going back to Peter, James, and John to say, let's go, it's time. My betrayer's at hand. Here comes Judas, who we're going to look at in just a minute. So here's the, here's the reading from Matthew. Again, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I picked Matthew to think about Gethsemane. And then Jesus went with them. Remember, they just left the upper room where they shared the Last Supper. And they've walked straight here. And then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And so, I mean, it's all visible. Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I won't unpack those words, but those are pregnant words that go through. So he's a little bit, he's a little bit agitated. It's, it's got a whole layer of meaning he began to be sorrowful and troubled and he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even unto death remain here abide here that's the same verb of uh, abide in me and i in you as a branch abides in the vine it's bringing that over meno which we looked at some of us last fall it's that that echo right there remain here stay connected to me here um, and keep watch or keep awake with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, and this is not Abba, as in Abba Father, um, our Father who art in heaven, Abba Father who art in heaven. This is Pater. It's a little bit more distant. Um, it's the one that's a little bit farther away. It's a little bit more formal. Um, not to say there's a distance there, but it's not the, it's not the, close, it's not the closeness of Daddy. My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup, there's the metaphor, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could Peter, not the disciples, Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And as he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest. Or another version says, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, 
my betrayer is at hand. And we're going to see that in just a moment, where without a break, it goes straight into the Judas story, that Judas is coming with others with lanterns and weapons and clubs. Yes? This graphically explains to me Yeah, all that mystery. Yeah. But so, yeah, the mystery of the Trinity. One, God is not the Son, who is not the Spirit, who is not the Father. The Father is not the Son, who is not the Spirit, who is not the Father. But God is the Son. The Father is the Son. The Son is the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Father. It's that famous, I'll just draw it as if this is a whiteboard. There's a famous circle. It's, in fact, embroidered. If you go into the church in the Debartalaban passageway, I think this is Anselm. Do you remember? So it the somebody, it might be in the chapel, but going way, way, way back. Um, uh, it could have been Augustine when he was doing the Trinity. It has this all in Latin. It says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it says the Father, the Son, the Spirit is not, is not, is not. But then here it says is, is, is. So the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit, who is not the Father. But the Father is the Son, is the Spirit, is the Father. So it's the mystery of the Trinity. Three in one, yet one in three. And this is God praying to himself. God utters to himself, my God, my God, how have you forsaken me? Um, it's still God on the cross, the cry of dereliction. And yet the Son is not the Father. My Father, my Father, my God, my God, how have you forsaken me? Father, if it be your will, let this pass. And all this, you have to have, as somebody once said in the Lenten sermon here, I think it was Frank Thielman, you have to have a very robust understanding of the Trinity to come to approach the cross. And I would certainly come alongside of that. And this is the beginning. This is the beginning. Um, so, post-haste. Um, uh, Judas, we looked at this, um, no time to really sort of speak, but this is a study of Judas that he did one time. Puts a human face, because Judas is about to become a sympathetic figure, I think, in this. This might have been the first, you were asking how I came across, this might have been where I met the art of Nikolai Gay first. What he calls conscience, um, or sometimes just called Judas. The scene here, this is Christ being led away with the soldiers... Uh, uh, of the of the Temple Mount, of the Temple Guard, of the Sanhedrin. Some of the teachers are there. You could probably guess it's three in the morning, something like that. Why do we know that? Because right at dawn, he's going to meet Pilate, which we're going to look at in just a moment. In just a moment, um, because the details here in the Gospels are very specific. You can draw a timeline pretty accurately here. And so. Very dark, obviously. Um, I'm no artist, but I'm told it's really hard to draw on a black canvas. But it looks like that's where he started, or at least he, he basically filled it in with the figure of Judas, again, draped in the moonlight with the, the, the light coming this way, um, clutching himself. It certainly gives the stillness a sense of cold, uh, a sense of, of, uh, 
of, of it being very cold. But one might hazard a guess to think that somehow his holding himself, his pulling himself tightly, and you can see the, the robes here are very evocative, where it all sort of comes in there, where he's here, and it's probably not too much of a stretch, being a sympathetic figure in this painting, um, that it's not just the temperature where he's sort of trying to, to fight back. Um, and so here's the story of Judas, this loneliness, this hauntingness of this ambivalence, a little bit of a Jean Valjean. What have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Um, uh, and we'll take John here. When Jesus had spoken these words um, in John's account, this is right at the beginning of, of 18, at the end of, of, uh, of what we call his high priestly prayer. Um, but, but it's also just at the end of uh, rise, let us be gone, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, he went out with his disciples, well, this is slightly backwards, to the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which, which he and his disciples entered. And now Judas, who betrayed him, who also knew the place, for Jesus had met often there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing what would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. Well, we know what that means. It's, you know, I am, ego a me, um, the great I am statements that are in John, uh, where he says, I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. Um, and here he's saying, who are you looking for? Jesus, I am. And so he's just brazenly a statement of divinity, which goes back to Exodus 3. Tell them I am sent you. That's the name that God gives to his people. The revealed name of God from God himself. And Jesus is very intentionally, at his moment where he could run, uh, he says, I am. And he's just putting it right there, which is going to be the charge of blasphemy. Uh, Whom do you seek? I am. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. Uh, and then Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. It's Matthew that adds, and he came up and he kissed him. Uh, and then Jesus said to them, I am. And they drew back and they fell to the ground. So he asked them again. It's aggressive, right? I mean, he's just going straight away. Uh, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I told you that I am. I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, talking to his, about his disciples. For this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, strew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so that stolid, stern, uh, his face set towards the cross, Jesus, that we saw um, uh, in the painting on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Um, he's not going uh, as I would, weeping and cowardly and saying, please know anything but this. Rise, let us go. My betrayer... Um, uh, is fulfilling the scripture um, and let these people go to also fulfill the scripture. Um, I am the one that you seek. Conscience by Nikolai. Any 
thoughts on this one? Um, I want to move to make sure we get to what is truth. Um, yeah, Patton. I think it gives a vote to the feeling of how Judas is isolated and basically discarded by his choice. Absolutely. The movie The Passion mm. does that very well, too, that immediately after he commits this act, he's now separated from everybody. Yep. Basically discarded. Yep. And not to... Thank you. And not to... Assume everyone knows the story, um, and so he goes back. And you made the arrangement Judas did with uh, some of the scribes. Um, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, and he takes the silver and he throws it back in there. And uh, and uh, one account is he hangs himself. Another one is he disembowels himself, but he commits suicide. Um, the ultimate act of isolation, some would say. Um, sympathetic figure. To say at least we could say that, yeah. Was this was this a prearranged deal before the Last Supper, or I mean, did he know how much? As far as we know, how much pre-planning was Judas able to do? Because Jesus announces at the Last Supper, right? One of you will betray me. Right. Is he surprised, or is he has that deal been made? Believe that deal was made right before the Last Supper, where he goes to the scribes, gets the silver comes to the Last Supper kind of knowing that this is all being angled. And those of us who do the walk to the cross, I've been in there with you, Patton, before. It's in the, the scene in the um, uh, the diocesan office. Um, Judas, go and do that which you must do. And then Judas gets up in a huff and he just runs out. Um, whenever I hear this, I actually think of that scene from that I'm usually in, in the walk to the cross. Um, go and do that thing which you must do in order for the word to be fulfilled. Jesus, no one takes his life. Jesus isn't the victim of a murder. He gives his life as a ransom for many. He says, I am, you know, God, the crucified God. I must go and become the ransom. I am so for my people that I'm against myself. So speaketh God as a trinity um, in order to fulfill the word. So, to your historical point, I think Judas knew something. I don't know when. I don't know if we know when. On that Wednesday, perhaps, the day before the Last Supper, maybe it was that morning, don't know when, but he, he went and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And kills himself basically the same night? I think that's what the inference is. It may be the Friday morning, um, but I'm not sure of that. That's interesting. I've never thought about that, that Judas and Jesus out on the same day. Yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't. Um, we, would, we would know that. Yeah, Clay. You just said that he he did this for us, such that he was against himself. Right. But then you also said that he went to the cross for his glory. Right. And not for us. Yeah. How do you reckon? Yeah. Such a good listener, Clay. Um, I thought about that this morning, too, and I was thinking about what I was going to say. Um, thank you so much. Uh, some of the paradox that God uh, is not the Father, you know, the Trinitarian paradox, I also sort of bring in this, where the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, I am so for you that it's not even about you. Somewhere in there, although that's, a sentence that's got proper noun, subject, agreement, but it doesn't quite make sense, I'm going to stay there. I am so for you that it's not even about you. I know the hairs on your head 
Um, not, not, not a sparrow falls from the sky, and I don't know about it. And yet, this isn't about you. It's about me. My good purposes, my pleasure, my will will be done. I didn't bring you into this world because I needed you, so speaketh God. Um, I wasn't lonely. I didn't sort of need companionship. God is immutable, is the doctrine that goes there. Um, he's fine on his own. It was just for his good pleasure that he brought this forward into his creation. And so it's for his good pleasure that he's going to redeem it and call it to its completion um, in the new heavens and the new earth. Not, not even for our sake, but for his own sake. Because God, in his immutability, as he exists within himself, complete and full, that's what's going on here. Um, and yet, at the same time, and it's confusing, um, he's so personal that he reveals himself and says, my name is I am. My name is I was who I was, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be, which is what Yahweh means, that full sort of expressionless, timeless name that he gives and says, and I'm yours. I am your God and you will be my people. And that no one can take from you. And so it's a both and, and not an either or. So. What you just said poses a question in my mind. It makes about a thousand questions in my mind. <laughs> that did Jesus or God realize he'd made a mistake in creating us uh, imperfect or whatever we were so that we would sin and that he didn't come back? You were just saying it's not for his benefit. Yeah. But now he's coming. Yeah, I will. I'll go all with this clip. It was no mistake. God knew he foresaw all that would be. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, and uh, it was 50 50. <laughs> and it went that way. I don't mean to make light of that. It's a great question. Um, uh, that was the cross is not a plan B. Um, the expulsion from the garden wasn't plan B. Um, that was all part of God's gracious redemption. This is sort of that. Um, I call it the Animal House time, you know. Some of you all go to my classes, and it's the Donald Sutherland. Wow, you know. So, um, so that dates me, doesn't it? Um, uh, this part of the creation of God, as Dorothy Sayers once said, um, will be as distant a memory as that time we spent, that night we spent so many years ago in a two-bit motel. I was like, I remember that kind of, but, you know, it wasn't that. It was, at the time, it was a huge thing. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this bed and there's roaches. and blah, blah, blah. But now it's just like, oh, that. I forgot about that. When the new heavens and the new earth come and the eons stop because there is no time anymore. And it's just, we don't have a word for it. The new Jerusalem. It's Revelation 21 and 22. And it's just that. And it exists forever, except not in time. To me, my heart just rests. It doesn't even leap. It just says like, ah, that's what it'll be. Where somehow then all of the tumult of the, the, the chaos of sin and the disordering of order will, uh, will find as distant a memory as that time I stayed in a, the ranch motel in, I don't even know what sound of the name of that little town in Texas off the highway, which was actually a great trip now. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is awful. But, but now I was like, oh, it was kind of nice. 
There's a lot that I said that I wouldn't die on in the last two minutes, but something like that. Um, let me do this. Oh, shoot. Um, he is guilty of death. Um, and then he comes before Pilate. This is just a remarkable painting. Um, the figure of Christ. This is like 7 in the morning. Um, he's going to be crucified in two hours. And this is Pilate. Um, the starkness of the light coming into the window where Pilate's going in and out and in and out and in and out. And he goes to the Jews and says, I find no fault in this man. Why do you want him? And he goes back in and is like, why do you keep not saying anything? Do you not know that I have the power to give you life? And then Jesus is like, you have no power. You know, my life is not taken. I give it up. And he goes back out. He's like, what are you doing? I, how about Barabbas? There's a tradition amongst you that I give somebody. And he comes back into Jesus. They want you to die. And he's in and out and in and out and in and out. Here's the outside. But this strong line, obviously, between Christ and Pilate could not be more stark between the two worlds. And then something about this part right here, I still don't know, but there's something really remarkable about this tattered piece of Christ's robe, which is just sort of coming out into the light. Um, some parts of this that I really like. This, this is crazy, isn't it? This is Hans Holbein's portrait of Henry VIII. Um, you know, Henry VIII of Six Wives fame, uh, the King of England. You can see... And this is the only one I thought of this morning. Um, but a traditional stance of power, Napoleon, Henry, others, when they wanted to be shown as strong and complete and in control, you have this weird sort of unnatural stance that goes on, which is what Gay gives to, um, to Pilate, where it's the pinnacle of power versus the seeming uh, insignificance of rabble. Um, Christ is a nobody. And yet Pilate can't get him out of his mind. He gives him so much time. Seven in the morning. I don't get up. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, this this is like, just get rid of the guy. I don't know who that is. And yet he gives him all the attention. And something about this man, this man pulls him in where he can't get rid of him. And yet finally he, he gives up Pilate the... Um, appointed by the emperor, Tiberius, I think it is at the time, uh, to be the governor of, of Judea, the region that includes Jerusalem. So he's going out back and forth to the Jews, giving his subjects what they want, um, where the same ones who on Palm Sunday, which will be us in about three weeks, um, yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, uh, now, five days later, we have, crucify him, crucify him. You know, we have no king but Caesar. Can you imagine the Jews saying that? The people who have the kingdom of Yahweh, the kingdom of God. We have no king but Caesar. They're so lost in their dither um, that this powerful, I love, no, stop here. Maybe come back to this next week. Um, but here's the words that come out of John 18. This is right afterwards um, where Pilate is going to say, and, and we don't know, is he saying, what is truth? Or is he a genuine question of what is truth? Um, uh, is it dismissive? Is it is it honest? Is it searching? I still don't know. I go back and forth, try to climb into the psychology, the psyche, as it were, of Pilate. So here's the story, and then we'll close on this. And they led Jesus away from the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest, so the 
the, the ruler of the Jews, and now he's going to the ruler of the Romans, um, uh, from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, to the praetorium. It was early morning. So there's one of the details. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, talking about the Jews, but they uh, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, this is the back and forth, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So it's an evasive answer. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they've already tried and convicted Jesus in their court. Um, Interesting, I didn't think about this until this morning. If the Jews could have, if the rulers, I should say, uh, could have done it, they would have been stoned because the penalty for blasphemy, which is what they're they're accusing and convicting Jesus of, is is stoning. But since they had no power at this point in, in the history, as Rome was the occupying force, they had to bump it up the chain, as it were, and, uh, uh, and Rome's preferred punishment was crucifixion. So, back to the text. Um, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say this to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom, so hear that word, my kingdom. So he's saying, I am a king. Um, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, and that that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. So Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews, so this back and forth and back and forth, and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so that you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. It's interesting about Barabbas. Maybe this is the meditation going out. Barabbas, Bar means son of. So you got Bar Joseph, Bar Jesus. These were very common. Um, I'd be Bar Frederick, um, the son of Frederick. Just the way you, you know, knew family lineage. Abbas, Abba, father, it's a no man's name. You know, send us the son of the father, which is they send us that nobody. You know, he's just, he's, got, he's like, he's John Doe, Barabbas. So he's nobody, but he's everybody. He's every one of us. Send us Barabbas. Send us the son of nobody. Send us the everyman, which is a... Start crying. Send us Gilcracky. You know, let him live and let the other one die. And that's, of course, exactly what happened. Send us Barabbas, which is all of us, the son of a father, which is every single one of us, the son of a mother, the son of a father. Send us that one so that the king the true king would die so that we might live um, and his riches will be ours. It's a remarkable inheritance. And just that story, that name of Barabbas, which just came out this morning, the son of, the, son of John, just John Doe, just to say every one of us. Um, we choose him so that the innocent would die. Um, it's time. Let me pray. Lord, um, take these words feebly and humbly offered and... Uh, Strengthen them as you would by your grace um, uh, so that we would behold 
the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, our sin, our personal sin, and, and the sin under which we suffer in so many different ways, um, uh, that we would live uh, through his death. Um, uh, gracious love, how can this be? Um, that you, our Lord, would die for us, um, would die for me. Um, let that word be freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 